several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow all right, time for your weekly grape encounter, but this is not just any grape encounter because this is a grape encounter that I have looked forward to more than I think any other grape encounter with a couple of exceptions. I got to say the excitement that I had before I interviewed Mike Gergich for the first time, the excitement that I had when I finally caught up with my first wine mentor, Dr. Stan Hoffman, those were really exciting moments and so many amazing people that have been in the studio or who have invited me out to their wineries or whatever. But this particular show is going to be really, really personal because on today's show, I'm going to have my mother. No, 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 fooled you. No, I'm not going to have my mother. I'm going to have somebody on that I only learned about just a couple of months ago. And let me just set things up for a second because... This is so fascinating. I alluded to this on a show, I don't know, a month or two ago, but now I get a chance to really do this thing and I couldn't be more elated. It all started because there's a guy named Leroy Guilford who has a terrific show with just exuberance coming out of every pore. And he had contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to come on his show to talk about my my experiences in the Finger Lakes, because as you all know, I love to talk about the Finger Lakes. And by the way, we'll be talking about them next week, not this week. And during our conversations, he told me something extraordinary. Now, I might add that my show, Grape Encounters, is also on that station. So we're colleagues is what we are, and we report on basically two different things. But he told me the story of a man who was a really big deal at Disney. In fact, he was the VP of post-production services for basically decades or close to it and then decided that he was going to get into winemaking and give up a career that probably paid, well, you know, what's that pay? A hundred billion a year or something like that, but a really high paying job for one of the worst paying jobs on planet Earth. And so Leroy sent me this interview that he did with this guy, and I thought it was fascinating, except there was one little caveat that shocked me like nothing has ever shocked me before. 
And I want to now introduce to you the subject of that interview by Leroy, and it's Gil Ganyan. And you had a big position at Disney, right? Tell me about it. Yeah, well, I oversaw just anything that was kind of creative and technical for lots of big feature films or even lots of big TV shows and just a lot of people that fell under my umbrella all around. Were you a wine lover? Absolutely. Big time. Yeah. And reds, right? Yes. Basically reds. Yeah. Yeah. But that's only a little teeny part of the story, right? Right. Because here you are, you know, you're living in Calabasas, California at the time, which is kind of at the, let's say, north end of Los Angeles. And you're going into the Burbank Studios where Disney is. And as the crow flies, not a long distance. As the BMW travels, it's a bit longer. How long? Uh, it's about 20 miles. But, you know, when you're in LA and you're driving down that 101 freeway, it's an hour. Yeah. On a good day. On a good day each way. <laughs> and if if it's slightly misting and your windshield wipers have to move maybe once within that hour, you can probably double it. So you told my colleague, and you told me as well, that you calculated that you had spent during the time that you worked for Disney, how many hours behind the wheel? Well, I worked for Disney for about 11 years, and I worked in Hollywood at another company owned by Kodak for about 10 years before that. So in round numbers, after 20 years of commuting in that LA traffic, it's the equivalent of having a full-time job for six years. You spent six years of your life behind the wheel. Sniffing exhaust, yes. And talking on the cell phone. Yeah, as much as I could, but I actually tried to entertain myself by other ways. And how and, did you do that? You know, I was fortunate enough that early on in your show, I found your episodes and I would download them to my phone and my uh, iPod and I would sit there and it would make that hour so much more enjoyable and productive. And I started listening to your show religiously. I would listen to it over and over on the way to work. So did you wear back. a habit while you listened to my show? You said you listened to it religiously. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you I was in the film business, so I probably could <laughs> okay, never wear right. that. <laughs> all right. So you're listening to Grave Encounters. And I mean, that alone, when I heard that much of the story, that meant so much to me because, you know, so often when you're in the radio business, and I've been doing it for quite a while now, and Grape Encounters alone, seven years, that's a long time. This is show number 315. That's a lot of hours yeah. to sit and listen to me talk. But one thing that a lot of people don't, I think, often realize is that when you're in radio, whether it's live, whether it's pre-recorded, you're just sitting in a box. You don't see people. You know, we don't have live audiences unless we go out and we do a live show. So you don't really get to know as much as you would like to the people who are listening to your show. It's just not an option until you go out and you do a live event and people come up and say, oh, I love your show. I listen to your show. But I'll let you finish the story because this is where it gives me goosebumps. It might be one of the proudest moments of my Grape Encounters career, if not any career. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for having me too. I, I am just thrilled to be here and to finally meet you in person because it really has been long long overdue. So way back when, and that was probably close to five years ago, I was sitting there going back and forth in that LA traffic and I would listen to your show religiously and you did an episode that really resonated with me. It was you and Wes Hagen 
And you guys talked about, yes, you too can be a winemaker. One of Dave Wilson's rants. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, well, you know, I think back in the day, it would be pretty hard to top you and Wes together. Ranting, yes. We still rant to this day. In fact, I actually called him earlier today to say that you were coming into the studio, but who knows where Wes is at right now. We'll have him on eventually. But anyway, so we're going on, and I remember the episode, episode number 44, back in May of 2010, right? Right. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember that episode vividly. I listened to it, and uh, it really, listening to your show was like going to school for me. Because when I started getting into wine, I started thinking about this, and I did a lot of the usual things where I started taking classes at UC Davis to learn more about it. And, you know, you can learn so much from a book and from doing those things. But I personally believe you learn more from people. And yeah. I learned so much from your show and listening to all the different guests. And you always, as part of your regular uh, entourage, you had Keith Sarlos on and Wes Hagen. And yeah. I would always look forward to those. So we've just got a minute left in this particular segment. But what'd you do? Well, I put pen to paper and started calculating all the little things that you guys talked about, the different components that go into a bottle of wine and what those things might cost. And I penciled it out. And I came to that conclusion, as you stated, yes, I can do this. I can I can make the wines. So I, I went and I took the plunge and decided I would follow my passion and see what I could do. But here's an important question because you're working for a major, major studio. So I would presume that as a VP of the studio, and I'm not asking you what you made, but you made a decent living, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you made a decent living. Now, people who are listening right now don't necessarily make that kind of money. But were you frugal in the beginning as you got into this? And is it your opinion that had you been working at a sandwich shop that you could have still got into it some way and made credible wine? I guess the answer is yes. I wanted to make sure that, and again, we're still very small and I wanted to make sure I was learning as I went through the process. So that way I knew if I was going to make a mistake, I would not make a big one. So absolutely, I kept all the costs under control and I set aside a budget that I stuck to and it really worked out and it paid off. But the bottom line is you were a religious listener to the show, but you heard this segment where you heard a guy like Wes Hagen and you also heard people like Keith Sarlos talk about how they gave up other kinds of careers to get into winemaking and never turned back and were making awesome wine and you decided you could do it and you took our advice. I know, as crazy as it sounds. That. Except for <laughs> one piece of advice that you did not take and I'm going to bust you in just a second because I know you played that episode over and over again. I'm going to play back a little piece of it that you did not listen to and shame on you when we return with our very special special guest, Gil Gagnon, who is the former VP of post-production services for Disney and now the president and CEO of Gagnon Cellars. And we'll also talk about the wines because I've had a chance to taste a bit and uh, we'll keep you in suspense. How's that? We will return with more Grape Encounters in just a moment. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. If you make April your month to do some California wine tasting, your friends will surely be green with envy. That's because throughout the month of April, California wines aren't just red, white, and rosé. In April, you'll discover just how green California wines are, too. 
April is California Wines Down to Earth Month, and wineries all over the state are celebrating the state's leadership in sustainable wine growing with fun and educational events everywhere you turn. California has one of the most widely adopted sustainable wine growing programs in the world, with more than 70% of California's wine growers and winemakers committed to practices that benefit the environment, employees, and neighbors. And best of all, the quality of the wine is simply superb. From Earth Day wine and food festivals and green wine trails to vineyard hikes and horseback rides and special tastings, find out more at discovercaliforniawines.com. Just click on the tab that says April is Earth Month at discovercaliforniawines.com. As a lifetime wine lover, I think I own practically every conceivable wine gizmo and gadget. Now I've put together a collection of some of my very favorite things so that you can take your wine obsession to the next level, just like me. From functional to pure fun, check out my favorite things by clicking the store banner at grapeencounters.com. That's grape encounters like closeencounters.com. Nestled between world-class Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo wine countries, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the humble heart of the Central Coast. With access to endless wine country adventures, including wine and olive oil tasting tours, artisan farm experiences, food, wine, and cultural events, historic Atascadero's cozy and oh-so-friendly atmosphere make it the perfect home base for Central Coast tourists. Discover more about the heart of the Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. If I could make my dreams into movies, I'd get a picture deal and put them on the big screen in color. If I could make my dreams into movies, you'd know just how I feel every night, every night, every night when I am dreaming. What would the film reveal? All right, we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I can no longer say that people don't take me seriously. We're sitting here with Gil Gagnon. He is Gil Gagnon of Gagnon Cellars, formerly, holy smoke, the VP of post-production for Disney. Like, this is a really big deal. I mean, this is a guy who probably had his own helicopter and stuff like that, and a staff of about, how big was your staff, Gil? Uh, two to three hundred, depending on how heavy we were. <laughs> two production. To three. I thought you were going to say two to three, you know, and I was going to say, "Well, that's twice as big as my staff." No, but two to three hundred people worked underneath you. Wow. Yeah, it was a big area, lots to do, and we were busy all the time. The kind of movies you were working on: Pirates of the Caribbean, lots of big movies like that, and all the animated films as well. And we handled everything from you know picture editorial, sound editorial, and just. Anything creative and technical. And you worked on, what, hundreds of movies, right? Probably over 500. Over 500 films. And I'd know the names of most of them, wouldn't I? Sure. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Big, you know, some of those are billion-dollar movies. Wow. Unbelievable. And then you decide to get into wine. So you listened to this episode 44, and as I understand it, you played that episode more than once, right? You got a copy oh. of the podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would listen to that back and forth. And it was really, you know, you and Wes, and you said, yes, you too can make wine. Yeah, I guess it makes some sense. You know, you're sitting there at work listening to Johnny Depp doing basically an imitation of Keith Richards as a pirate, right? And and so you got to hear something different. 
That's yeah, all. Yeah, you know, you got to. That's all there is, right? Yeah, you need a little <laughs> bit of release. A little right. hey, okay, I understand. We have that little piece. We're going to queue up this piece right now, where we tell you, you know what? If you are tired of your humdrum life, <laughs> not that you had one, and that was for other people, not you, Gil. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. Then get into winemaking. Let's play that real quick. We talk about the boutique winemakers a lot, and we've featured many, many of them on the show. And I love to talk about the guys who had a career in the big city who fought traffic on the 405 or the 10 or the 5 or the 91, and then finally just said, to heck with this, and they threw up their arms in the air, and they came up to the Central Coast or maybe Mendocino County, or maybe they went up to Washington or Oregon, decided, I'm going to make some wine. Is that the part you were talking about right there? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I used to bring that up a lot. I don't think I bring it up as much. You've reminded me that I've got to encourage people to get into winemaking. But now that I live in wine country, I kind of like, okay, (laughs) it's already starting to get busy up here. Go away. (laughs) But you can make wine in your garage, right? By the way, I want to play one other clip because there was something else that was in that show. You apparently don't take orders all that well because you did listen to us when we said maybe you should be making wine. But there was another thing that we requested that you do that you completely ignored. In fact, you've been making wine for how many years now? Yeah, about five years. (laughs) God. And you just got around to telling me. All right, let's roll this little piece for a second, Gil. (laughs) You owe me on this one. Well, you know what we should do really is we should challenge one of our listeners to write us or call us. Yep. And be willing to start their winemaking operation, and we will chronicle them all the way to their first bottling. It's great, a great idea, right? It, it is. And you have what to say for yourself? Did we not ask you to call us and let us know that you were going to do this so we could follow your progress? I know, I know. And trust me, I have lived with that guilt for five years. I wonder how many other Ganyan gangsters are out there who don't follow orders. I mean, it's fine. We helped you become, and I'm going to say this, a great winemaker. Oh, well, thanks. uh, And, And then you didn't even let us keep track of you. Well, to be honest, I was so looking forward all those years to come and talk to you, but probably needed to make sure. I got my sea legs on and had the confidence because I know that you really enjoy wine and I absolutely did not want to disappoint you. Do you know with you in the film business and you know me doing what I do, we missed a huge documentary opportunity. What's that movie that just came out recently? Boyhood? Uh, boyhood. Boyhood, yeah. It could have been like Winehood. <laughs> yes. Something like absolutely. that. You could have helped us make that movie, couldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. And you could have starred in it. I know. You know, trust me, I thought about it. I thought about documenting it and all of those things. And some of it I did document. But overall, I just wanted to really learn and hone my craft and do you proud. And I hope I did. We're going to talk about the wine because you and I got together last night along with my wife and we got to have the wine. Anyway, we're going to get into that. But tell me the process and who did you tell and who did you decide you wouldn't tell? Did Mickey Mouse or Pluto know anything about this yeah, the little, no, little Mermaid? No, no. I decided I would keep that. I think everybody knew I had an interest in wine and that I was passionate about it. But I thought I would kind of keep a low profile. I also had other friends that had gotten into the wine business. And I also decided I would not go and approach them because the bottom line is I didn't want anybody to talk me out of it. Wow. Because there are what? A zillion reasons to not do it? Yeah, but there's one good reason to do it. Which and is what? Passion. You 
want to do it. Yeah, I want to do it. And I'm passionate about it. So I know that anybody that's a regular listener to the show knows this. I have said many times, and I've done multiple shows on this, talking to winemakers who came out of other industries. And it's always the men and women who come out of really intense, high precision, detail-oriented professions. You know, it's the brain surgeon. And I'm not kidding. It's the cardiologist. It's the orthodontist. It's the guy that is working in post-production services for Disney. You know, haven't you noticed that? And we have a mutual friend, it turns out. Somebody who is very close to you doesn't know to this day that you got into winemaking and he comes from a very high-precision profession. You know, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you take your own self-inventory and you figure out what are your skills. I'm a guy in the minutia. We make films one frame at a time and I've done all kinds of things. And so it really is about the attention to detail and you absolutely have to get it right. And by nature, I probably drive a lot of people crazy, but I'm a perfectionist. What if your wine had turned out really cruddy? I never would have let you taste it. You'd never be sitting here today? No. And I also would never put that in front of anybody. I would never try to sell it or uh, pour it for anybody. You know, many things can happen. And winemaking is a very literally fluid situation where you have to bring a lot of elements together all at one time. And sometimes it's the perfect storm and you're doing everything you possibly can to just make the right decisions. And trust me, I don't make all those decisions myself. I make sure if there's something I don't know, I go ask. A movie analogy would be like the director of a movie. Yes, your name's on the movie, but you better make sure you get the best people on your team. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue. We're going to actually wrap up our conversation with Gil Gagnon, who is an inspiration to me because I give people lots of ideas of things that they can do with wine, how to have fun with wine, how to enjoy it more, how to play with it. But when you get down to making wine, you know, it's one thing to do it as a hobby. And there are so many tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of hobbyists out there. But when you make a major career move like you did, that's a bold thing to do. And I will give you my assessment as to whether or not you're going to be successful in the long term or not. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. When we return... It's all about the wine, man. You know, is it just the satisfaction of making it or is it the satisfaction of being able to swallow it? You're having a grape encounter with David Wilson. What a way to spend the day. If I could make my dreams into movies, you'd know just how I feel every night, every night. and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at grapeencounters.com. 
Safe Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email david at grapeencountersradio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you. As a lifetime wine lover, I think I own practically every conceivable wine gizmo and gadget. Now I've put together a collection of some of my very favorite things so that you can take your wine obsession to the next level, just like me. From functional to pure fun, check out my favorite things by clicking the store banner at GrapeEncounters.com. That's Grape Encounters, like CloseEncounters.com. Like certain wines, he's syrupy, sweet, and has long legs. Here's David Wilson. Simply irresistible. All right, Grape Encounters returns with my very special guest, Gil Gagnon, who is the president, CEO, founder, brainchild, winemaker behind Gagnon Cellars. We're going to talk in just a second about where the grapes come from because they come from all over. But more than that, I want to talk about dinner last night. Gil, pretty good Italian food last night, eh? Absolutely fabulous. I'm going to tell you what. I brought because a person of your stature and also just a loyal listener, I'm not going to bring a bad bottle of wine, right? I would hope not. We never got to my wine. (laughs) We opened up your wine and I was floored. It was like, what? What? And the really weird part is that I was nervous for you. You weren't the only one. And I was nervous for me because I'm going, I even said to my wife, Annie, I said on the way, what if I don't like it? What am I going to do? I'm not good at faking it. You know, I don't want to fake out listeners because then if I told them, wow, this is really good, they're all rushing to buy, you know, your wine. And then they're going to call me up and go, what are you talking about? It was terrible, but it wasn't. It was elegant, beautiful, everything about it, even down to the packaging. Spectacular. You would not settle for anything that wasn't really outstanding. No, I appreciate that. And that's one of the reasons why it took me five years to have the courage to come and visit you and to put that bottle of wine in front of you. Was there some cruddy wine? in the first year or two? No, I think it was just as you referred to it on your show, you know, LBD, learn by doing. So I would always progress and try to just continue to improve in all aspects. And there are a million decisions that go into this process. And so once again, the analogy of making a movie that every day you're making so many different decisions and you have a lot of people. I did actually count up one time that there's over a hundred people involved to put that bottle in your hand. You can't count the people who are drinking it. No. Okay. All right. (laughs) I put the bottle in your hand. All right. So you thought you were going to plant grapes, but you didn't plant grapes. You source grapes. And by the way, nothing in the world wrong with that, but you better source correctly. You don't just go buy up some grapes that somebody else doesn't want. Right. There's lots of that out there, but finding really good grapes, that's an art form. And you spent a lot of time up in Sonoma. Yes. Well, I grew up in the Bay Area, up in Marin and Sonoma County. And so... 
I know that that's the style of the wines that I like. So I really paid attention to that, took all those cues that, you know, the old saying that you can't make a good wine from bad grapes. So I knew I wanted to start with really high quality fruit. And I try to make sure that I allow the farmer to be the farmer. So I looked for who would be one of the best people to go and source from. And I was able to do that. So it's single vineyard fruit coming from it. So it's very consistent and just that big, rich Sonoma County grapes. So Yeah. And then you get grapes from other places, Santa Cruz Mountains and beyond. So you're sourcing fruit from wherever you feel like you're going to get the best fruit from. Right. And so it'll depend on the varietal. And again, we're just looking to make a really high quality product. How do you know, though? And I don't think we actually talked about this on any of the shows that we did on this subject. How did you know you were getting good fruit? Did you taste some wines that were made from that fruit before you bought the fruit? Did you just look at who the grape growers were selling their grapes to? Combination of both? Yes, combination of Ouija all board? Of, no, it's all of the above. I think like anything, it's it's you really want to know that people have a track record and that's what I try to do. Yeah. Okay. So the grape growers that you're buying from now, a couple of years history with them at least now? Yes. Yes. Okay. And your wines are available certainly online, right? If you can actually purchase wines from California and if you can actually ship them out, right? But uh, the other thing you could do is you could just come out to California and we'll make sure there are some of those wines here. Absolutely. I'm not kidding. This this ain't a sales pitch because you don't make enough wine for me to get rich on or you unless you up the price, which I already told you you need to do because your prices are way too low. You don't realize how good your wine is. Well, you know, uh, I'm just getting rolling here. And so I'm very humble about the whole process and I appreciate all the great feedback that uh, you're giving me and I will take that to heart. Well, I mean, it's just that, you know, comparing your wine to average wine is like comparing, you know, the quality of a major Disney picture to, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, you know, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And I'm actually talking about the first version of it with <laughs> Steve funny. McQueen. Remember that? Uh, I actually don't remember that one. That's not possible. <laughs> All right. So what's the long-term objective now for you? Again, it's a slow build. So I just want to make sure that we continue to have really high quality and we will continue just to build upon the success and the plan as we just move forward. And so I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy the process and talking to people and pouring the wines. And it's, it's been a really good experience. It it certainly is one of those things that, uh, thank God I did actually come from the film business where, you know, how we always joke about working half days, uh, which are 12 hours. And that was something that was pretty quick to learn here that this wine business is also very long hours that that I am up all day all night just doing all kinds of different things because it's it's myself and my wife and and when you do a small family operation like that you have to wear all hats at all times what's harder making wine or making movies mm, boy they are so similar it's I honestly don't know that I could actually make what are the talents that you use in making movies that you use in making wine. 
Or do you drink a lot of wine to make a movie? Uh, I know that part of it. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but, you know, what I really loved about it is there's a creative component to the whole part of both filmmaking and winemaking. There's a technical component. There's a scientific component. So all of these things were basically skill sets I already had in my bag. And I just pull them out when, depending on what task I'm doing. So it it really, I learned later, it just, it was a very natural fit, but it is not an easy task. And it's something that you have to be passionate about in order to do it. Would you say that one of the most important skills is patience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I threw you a softball over the plate, didn't I? No, because nothing happens quickly in the wine business. And likewise, in the film business, you know, sometimes we work on a movie for five years, one frame at a time. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So if somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps, would you try to talk them out of it? Or would you say there's a hundred reasons for not doing it and one good reason for doing it? And that's why I'm encouraging you to do it. Yes, that absolutely is what I would tell somebody. If they're passionate about it, uh, it doesn't matter what it is we're talking about. We're talking about wine right now, but it could be anything. And one of the things I've always loved about both my film career and now even with the wine is, uh, to be very honest, is I have never had a, an alarm clock in 30 years. I don't need one. I am up with the sun no matter what it is I'm doing. And I'm passionate about it. I was passionate about filmmaking, passionate about winemaking. And I hope everybody can find that type of project in their life that they can go and dedicate their time to. It's important. Okay. And lastly, I think if there is one thing that a person could bring to the table that would be a deal breaker for them becoming a winemaker, what do you think it would be? Whoa, good question. Well, I wanted to end with a hard question. Well, I think you... Um... <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let me think Whoa, about that. Whoa, you stumped you, you, Superman. That's a tough question, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think you already brought it up. It's patience. If you're somebody that you don't have patience, don't do it. That's why I don't make wine. <laughs> but but I have the patience to drink it. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. All right. So listen, you know what? Coming up next, it's going to be Sarah Schneider. She is going to be joining me. That's going to be by phone. I'm not going to tell her, but I'm going to see her in a couple of weeks because she's off on her cruise now. And and I'm going to sneak a bottle of your wine to her. Awesome. See what she that. says. Right. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to really make you nervous now. Okay. I'm going to bring in the best darn bottle of wine I've got along with yours and blind taste them side by side. All right. Bring it on. Okay. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for my visit with Gil Gagnon. And we're going to grab Keith Sarlos. And I've already talked to these guys too, by the way, Wes Hagen, Keith Sarlos, and one other mystery guest. We can't say it on the radio because we know it'll totally blow it, but he's a friend of yours and mine, and he doesn't know we know each other, nor does he know why you got into the wine business, nor does he even know that you got into the wine business. That will be awesome. Okay, that'll be awesome. So uh, we will do that. Gil, such a pleasure to have you out here, and thanks for spending a little time with me. We spent time beyond this show, and that was fun. It was fun getting to know Gil, and even more fun for me, getting to taste wine that I inspired. You have no idea how proud I feel like a proud parent. Tonight and over the weekend, I'm going to dive into the rest of your wines, which, in addition to a silky, Sonoma Coast Chardonnay include mainly big reds from the Alexander Valley like Petite Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, and that completely off the charts red that I really couldn't get enough of at dinner last night. I got to tell you what, I was completely stunned by how good that wine is. Well, I appreciate that and and just know that uh, this has been a, a real pleasure for me to come and meet you. Can I be the godfather of your wine? Sure, absolutely. You already are. Oh wait, that's not really fair though because actually Francis Ford Coppola is the godfather of wine, is he not? Uh, 
Some people call him that. All right, ponder that. We'll be back with Sarah Schneider right after this on Grave Encounters Radio. It's time to take a quick break, so give a listen to these important messages for wine lovers. You are only a few sips away from the next chapter of today's episode of Grape Encounters. Remember, sip, don't chug. If you make April your month to do some California wine tasting, your friends will surely be green with envy. That's because throughout the month of April, California wines aren't just red, white, and rosé. In April, you'll discover just how green California wines are, too. April is California Wines Down to Earth Month, and wineries all over the state are celebrating the state's leadership in sustainable wine growing with fun and educational events everywhere you turn. California has one of the most widely adopted sustainable wine growing programs in the world, with more than 70% of California's wine growers and winemakers committed to practices that benefit the environment, employees, and neighbors. And best of all, the quality of the wine is simply superb. From Earth Day wine and food festivals and green wine trails to vineyard hikes and horseback rides and special tastings, find out more at discovercaliforniawines.com. Just click on the tab that says April is Earth Month at discovercaliforniawines.com. As a lifetime wine lover, I think I own practically every conceivable wine gizmo and gadget. Now I've put together a collection of some of my very favorite things so that you can take your wine obsession to the next level, just like me. From functional to pure fun, check out my favorite things by clicking the store banner at grapeencounters.com. That's Grape Encounters, like CloseEncounters.com. Nestled between world-class Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo wine countries, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the humble heart of the Central Coast. With access to endless wine country adventures, including wine and olive oil tasting tours, artisan farm experiences, food, wine, and cultural events, historic Atascadero's cozy and oh-so-friendly atmosphere make it the perfect home base for Central Coast tourists. Discover more about the heart of the Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. She once described a wine as a dusty old trunk from the attic, and we were all glad she was doing the sipping. It's Sipping with Sarah, with Sunset Magazine's Sarah Schneider, on Grape Encounters Radio. Because when you're high on that homemade wine, every woman will sure look fine. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio and another edition of Stump the Sarah. Oh, I thought it was sipping with Sarah. Oh, no, we changed it, Sarah. I have a bottle of wine here. I'm sitting across the table from the inimitable Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset Magazine, one of the most beloved wine writers on planet Earth. Oh, you're good to No, me. people That's love you. You're the people's wine writer. You realize well, that, right? Well, wine is for the people. I know, but the language gets just a little stuffy in most wine publications for the average Joe. I suppose And then you true. lose them, right? You know, I can geek out too, but then I have to pull myself off the cliff, back from the brink, and say, it's just a beverage. 
well, pretty fun beverage. Yeah, it's a pretty fun beverage. But yeah. yeah, you're right. And I think that the lion's share of the public would like us to spend, us meaning you, me, and everybody else that's writing about wine, I think they'd much rather hear us say, here's a wine you should look out for, or a type of wine that you should look out for. Enjoy it because it's crazy delicious. <laughs> that's true. One Yummy. of the first questions I ever asked you some years ago was, I said, do you prefer to describe a wine as having hints of leather and cassis and dark fruit or whatever, or would you prefer to just be able to say it's yummy? Do you remember what your answer was? <laughs> I'm hoping it was yummy. Yeah, yeah. That was your answer. And that was a good answer. Okay. All right. So let's go back to this little entry that I have put in front of you. Okay. So talk, talk to me about wine. it now. And let me explain why I did this, by the way, because this wine is, I think, something a little different or a lot different than what we normally talk about. I didn't mean for it to be a way to embarrass you, because okay. I would think that probably 99 out of 100 people would not get this one. Okay. You'll see if I'm in the 99 Well, let's or just see. What, what, tell me your observations, and then I want to tell people why they should be looking for this. Okay. Okay. Actually, this is a really good thing for me to be doing. I love this. I don't know anything about this wine. Um, it's, it's red, Sarah. It's, it's, it's red. red. I can see that it's red. So it's a chance to actually not have any preconceived notions. I don't know that that is Syrah or Pinot Noir. And so I'm looking for the general personality of the wine. Do you like it? Yes. You do I like can, it. I do like this wine. I would really probably not bring a bottle of wine in here that you wouldn't like. <laughs> I just couldn't do that. So I have no reference points for this wine. I can't pick out that it's one variety. So I'm guessing maybe it's a blend. But it has the body almost leaning towards lighter bodied Pinot Noir, but it doesn't have the character of a pure Pinot Noir. It's almost earthy, dusty, like an Italian variety would be. And it has a fair amount of acidity. Sarah. Yeah. What did you just say? An Italian variety. Did you peek when I used the restroom on the break? I did not. You know, I would not do that. All right. I'll give it to you. No, I'm just kidding you. Sarah, I'm kidding you. But from here or from over there? I need another sip. This is one of the few jobs that you can have that in order to do your job well, you have to continue to drink. So what's in my head right now with that question is, is it about earth or is it about fruit? That's kind of my old world, new world distinction. And this actually tastes of some sweet, warm fruit. And so I would actually say this is California, maybe an Italian variety from California. So your observation was spectacular, oh. but incorrect. Okay. <laughs> but are you ready for me to disclose? Absolutely. Let's, re okay. let's reveal. And would you please tell listeners the pathetic way that I have disguised this <laughs> bottle with all of the wine accessories that I have? I grabbed this and wrapped it up this so way. So he has this bottle disguised in a sunset jute bag, which I love. The wine is now in a sunset context. Yes. Okay. So I think I'm going to give Sarah both a great thrill and a big wow. So... Read oh them and weep, baby. I was right and I was wrong. Well, you were right and you were right, if you ask me. <laughs> that's that's a good spin. Because when you said that lushness of warm yeah. fruit, there is an explanation as to why you have that in this wine. So let's just tell them what you've got in your hand now. I have a bottle of Valpolicella Ripasso in my hand. 
and it is from Villa Borghetti in Italy. And tell us why it has that warm, sweet fruit in it. It has that warm, sweet fruit because this Rapasso process makes for some very delicious but also very expensive wines. And that's because they take the fruit and they divide it up into, let's say, two equal amounts of fruit. But half of that fruit gets dried down, and they let a lot of the moisture evaporate from the fruit. The word ripasso simply means to pass through. So they take the juice, the part that wasn't dried down, and they pass it through this very intensified, I don't like to call them raisins. I like to call them sun-dried tomatoes made out of grapes, because it's more like that consistency. And it gives you this luscious, beautiful, fruity wine. And contrary to what most people would think, it's not a sweet wine at all. No, it's not. Very Even dry. though there's, you know, twice as much fruit concentrated in there. And it makes for a very, very fun wine. So if you look for either Rapasso or Amarone at your wine shop, right? either one of those is likely to lead you to a pretty terrific bottle of wine. Because when somebody's making this style of wine, they're not going to mess around with inferior grapes, typically. It's very labor-intensive. It's, it's very costly to make it. It's not something that you want to make with junk. And I kind of think of these styles of wine with a concentrated base in there of the of the dried fruit as old world wines for new world palates. That's pretty clever, yeah. That fruit fooled me. Yeah, but you can see where that would compensate for the lightness that you would typically expect out of an old world wine, but this gives it a double whammy of fruit, right? which would make it very complicated for somebody to guess, I think. This is a beautiful bottle. Is this something that is widely available? Um, I don't know how widely available it is. I had never seen this label before. But by the way, a very un-Italian label. It is. It's wouldn't you pink. say as well? It's pink and handwritten. Right. But the other interesting thing about this wine is I think it retails for about $35. Oh, it's a, a real value. If you were to buy an Amarone, think 80 plus for a good one. This wine, about 35 bucks. Great value. That's a great value, isn't it? Yeah, beautiful wine. Okay, and then the other thing about this is the grape itself that is in this wine, and that would be largely Corvina. Right. Corvina. Doesn't that sound like a little Italian sports car? (laughs) Yeah. You want to go for a ride up the coast in my Corvina? Anyway, delicious grape. It is. Corvina. So we give this wine what? A rating? I would actually give this, I would give that a 93. That is exactly what I gave it. Is that true? That is exactly what I would give it. This wine is a real treasure, I think. Yeah. And I've got two more opportunities to stump the Sarah (laughs) in the next couple of weeks. I hope they taste this good. Yeah, but you know, I wasn't trying to pull one over on you, right? I think I made it very clear that this would be a hard one to guess. You did. And it was. But actually, you did better than most people would have on that one. Oh, that makes me feel a little bit better. Okay, good. All right. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters Radio. That's going to do it for Sipping with Sarah. It's not going to do it. We're just going to do it again next week. I'm for that. Okay. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.